So welcome back to the show. Uh, today we're going to be talking about if it's possible at all to optimize your mental and physical health while having kind of a sedentary typical like office job. So we will be using the field of like software engineering as an example because it's one of those kind of stereotypical like office-like jobs. And today my guest is going to be uh, like a holistic expert, Jator Pierre, and he's going to kind of go over different strategies of how you can go about like optimizing your physical and mental health, even if that's possible. Uh, but before we begin, I did have a sample of, and I'll kind of post this, I'll superimpose it on the video, but I, I did do like a sample of 52 uh, subjects and I had him fill out the HLC2, so 52 software wow. engineers through either my clients or some corporate lectures I've been giving on fat loss. And so, and I kind of averaged out all the totals and that basically came out like the average age was 31. The average body fat percentage was 26%. And um, how it read is basically like some things that are happening underneath outside of just the kind of like general weight gain of the typical subject would be um, very high GI inflammation, uh, a lot of constipation, a lot of adrenal fatigue, uh, pretty moderately high depression, high anxiety, and a little bit like lower on the high end of anger. So that's kind of like the general background of the sample pool I experienced. And then 27% of the subjects reported uh, being on some kind of psychiatric medication or kind of using uh, or currently using a some type of psychiatric medication within the last year. So, wow. yeah, having said that, I mean, what, what do you think? Uh, and if you like, you can give yourself a quick introduction to so listeners uh, know who you are and then we can kind of begin. Yeah. Uh, Jator Pierre. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I already know you. So know yeah. And yeah, if you're a software engineer, you're dead. That's all there is to the show. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate the... Uh, the form that you filled out with them, the HAQ, uh, that's some pretty interesting statistics. And I guess from my perspective, uh, that makes sense. It makes sense in the, from the perspective of software engineers, electrical engineers, um, mechanical engineers, at least as far as I'm aware and the ones that I've worked with. Uh, they tend to work extremely long hours uh, in front of a computer, uh, and they don't have uh, a lot of mobility. They don't move around very much. They're always in, sitting down and stationary. And if we look at a human being and just consider that perspective, not moving very much, uh, locked at a desk, typically, not all of them, uh, staring at computers, bad posture, uh, reduction in respiratory mechanics because you're going into this almost this hypnotic state when you're in front of a computer or a phone. Uh, GI inflammation, anxiety, depression, all those things make sense to me from uh, an inflammatory perspective or a physiological perspective. And I think it's really easy to go and find places that can help you mitigate the detriment of working in that environment, i.e. there's a guy named Dan Party who's got uh, something called Dan's Plan or uh, Chris Cresser, et cetera. All have different 
methodology to help someone uh, be healthy in that environment. Uh, but for me, those are the things that are typically addressed. And I think for me, some of the things around electrical engineers, software engineers that I've personally noticed isn't to say across the board. Uh, it's an interesting set men and women have, which in my experience can be overly logical. And I'm not saying logic is a bad thing and I'm not attacking logic at all. I'm not saying that to criticize. Uh, but when we are in that state of being overly logical and our jobs are based on numbers, one plus one equals two, uh, everything is refined and measured. Uh, in my experience, that type of mentality can also create a very rigid mind structure in which the person experiences themselves all the time. And that might not sound too challenging, but when we're in this very rigid mind structure and our experience of ourselves and or our perspective or ability to see a wider spectrum of value, i.e. your values are different than mine, uh, being able to look at that, understand that, and have respect for that rather than uh, disrespect for that. That mindset can cause a lot of stress. That mindset can cause uh, a lot of disharmony, not only in the relationship with the person internally, but interestingly, what that job represents to that person or their coworkers, or their significant others. And that part interests me a lot more rather than, like you alluded to in the text that you sent me, rather than get a stand-up desk, get amber glasses at work, get just get flux, walk 10,000 steps a day, drink water, get sleep. Those things are all, uh, I think, part and parcel of the whole picture. But I'm really interested in the framework, the mind framework of someone that chooses to do that type of job. And in my experience of, uh, well, as an example, my stepdad is an electrical engineer and uh, works very, very long hours. And there's a perspective that he has and many other clients have who work at places like Apple that Unless you are killing yourself at work or unless you are killing yourself for the job, uh, you're actually not doing your job. And the interesting thing about the culture that surrounds software engineering, again, as I experience it, is that there's also this culture of who's working the most, who's doing the most, who's producing the most, even if that takes a tremendous amount of time. In a culture like that, it's going to be very challenging to be healthy and well outside of the toxic environment in which they find themselves. Uh, but that cultural environment will also accentuate how much pressure they're putting on themselves, which will facilitate the sympathetic system even more. Uh, and that leading to, as you stated in your, in your paper, um, GI inflammation, anxiety, depression, uh, et cetera. So those things would be, I think, some of the things that I would be uh, really interested in 
working with clients around uh, those perspectives around that job, not just, I guess, the more practical one. It's um, it's a challenging job to be very healthy, and I would say that I don't. It would take a tremendous amount of work outside of that job to mitigate the forces within that job, inclusive of the amount of time that's spent in that job, as well as uh, the nutritional culture. Uh, as an example, I have two clients that work at Apple, and uh, Apple does a very good job of bringing in all kinds of good organic food and good food sourcing. The interesting thing, though, at Apple, even at a place like Apple, all of their internal restaurants still all cook in industrial seed oils. So these men and women are thinking they're getting a healthy lunch and they're getting a daily toxic dose of industrial seed oil uh, in, included in their meal. And that food culture at a place like Apple or Google seems to be a little bit higher up on the bar. But if you look at other places, the food culture of being in very well, doing with lots of fat loss, is going to be a very high reward food culture. It's not going to typically be uh, a very, just a simply palatable food. It's going to be chips and donuts and fast foods, et cetera, so that you can work consistently and constantly while sitting at this computer. I'm not sure if I answered your question, uh, but that would be my first blush at it. Yeah, so that's like very good input. Like you did kind of, um, you did answer it like really well. Mm -hmm. um, I guess like my one question is when I do give like corporate lectures from time to time or like maybe a person like a, uh, an office worker, like in our example, like a software engineer comes in uh, for like an assessment and they're like, oh, but I have like a stunning desk and I go to a boot camp after work, you know what I mean? Like three times a week, like I'm healthy. Can you kind of like elaborate on, uh, yeah. because a lot of times it's like their perspective is so narrow of like what health and wellness is. I think kind mm -hmm. of like if you educate them and broaden their perspective of like, no, there's a lot more that encompasses being healthy and well than just going to a boot camp three times a week and having like a standing desk. Can you kind yeah. of go a little bit more into detail on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the interesting thing about uh, even if you have a standing desk, uh, maybe I could buy that if you had a treadmill standing desk. Uh, but simply standing actually is still not moving the body. So that's just first piece. And when you look at current research around sitting all day and not moving, even if you're standing, uh, our bodies are obviously designed to move. And if we're lacking in movement, that's going to cause a lot of stagnation within the system, within the uh, musculoskeletal system. That stagnation will lead to limp stagnation, blood stagnation, and oxygen stagnation. So, you know, saying that I stand and then I go to boot camps, if you look at current research around uh, does working out three times a week, four times a week, five times a week, mitigate the detrimental effects of sitting all day long. And people don't typically count car time, home time, wake up time, etc. No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't mitigate that. In fact, uh, sitting is being called the new cigarette in terms of it's been a hidden 
um, detriment to our health and wellness for so long, and now people are becoming more and more aware of it. So uh, from a health perspective or a thriving perspective, for me, there's a difference between healthy and thriving. Uh, for me, health is, yeah, I feel good. Maybe I don't really get sick that often. But interestingly enough, many people that haven't gotten into what I would say is a thriving state don't feel or don't have the relative screen to understand that just being healthy isn't really thriving as a human being. And um, just moving your body and just getting a stand-up desk isn't going to create, one, it's not going to create health, and two, uh, it's not going to create this ability to thrive. And I think it's important maybe to give uh, a story here, which is uh, two of my clients are very high-end clients at Apple. And I've worked with one of them for 12 years. And what's really fascinating about my experience of him, again, only my personal experience, uh, a genius, a mechanical genius, of course, he's on the design team at Apple, uh, works very hard, thoughtful, creative genius, etc. cetera. Uh, but when I, met, when I met him on the health and wellness scale, it was very low. Living like I would guess a lot of the people that you surveyed when you were looking at those 52 people. Uh, eating normally, staying up late, not hydrated, drinking what's available, uh, overeating very rewarding foods, probably under eating nourishing foods, uh, alcohol, gluten, etc. And what was interesting over the years of working with him is that as we were doing work looking at uh, nutrient density, let's just say, so we're looking at increasing his nutrient density and looking at his gut health, looking at his brain health, interestingly, uh, working like that and get his eyes away from the computer and go outside and look at things from a distance to work his eye musculature and to work his brain in a different way. Um, uh, sleep. Uh, his relationship with his family. And one of the most interesting things that I saw over time with him, and I'm not saying this was due to me, this was due to him making the changes in his life, is that about three years before we stopped working together, he started to get really clear on the amount of hours he was spending at work and that he was noticing how many years he had done that for and had this very high desire to not do that to support his health and wellness. And what was so fascinating to me about that particular person is this was happening over eight years of working with each other. And at somewhere around that eight, nine year mark, he started to get to this ability of thriving what I mean by that is he was eating very well. Uh, his body was getting the nutrients it needs. He was sleeping better. Uh, he was moving his body. He was stretching. He was working out. He was working on his mental and emotional health outside of uh, just with me, working with his wife and another person. What I found most fascinating is that 
as he started to do all of that, his ability, his creative ability went through the roof. I mean, it exploded. And it exploded so much that he was able to go to his boss and ask for less time. Now, if you, not many people know the culture at Apple, but the culture at Apple is a lot of work. I mean, they're always, you know, staying on top of the game, right? It's always what's next, what's the next big thing. So people work a tremendous amount, and that's the expectation there. What's fascinating about him is as he got healthier and healthier and healthier and then got this ability to thrive, he actually could go to his boss, ask for less time, and receive that because what he was doing in the amount of time that he was there was on par with people that were spending double the amount of time. But that only came from him being healthy, well, and firing on all cylinders, all the way down to his blood chemistry. And so for me, uh, to get to that state, to get to a state where uh, you can you know, walk into somewhere like Apple and, and drop a mic in a meeting, uh, that takes a tremendous amount of uh, things that are beyond uh, just a stand-up desk or uh, working out three times a week. That takes uh, a whole other level of the game, which is some of what I'm guessing you share with them. And, and then that then boils back down into this mental and emotional state of how many people in that environment or in, in many environments believe internally that they truly uh, could work less, produce more, one, and believe that they also deserve that? That's a really interesting question. Because I'm constantly surrounded by clients, friends, uh, colleagues, whose perspective is, if I work more, work harder, I'll eventually get to you know, the, the white picket fence. And my perspective as I've gotten healthier and, and thriving inside of me has always been, how do I work less and know I deserve to work less so I can be healthy and well within the job that I do? So when I do show up to work, I'm running on all cylinders and my, create, my creative juice is, is through the roof. And for me, that's an interesting question. The mentality of, it's interesting. I deserve to work in a cubicle that I don't see anybody else, that I don't have much interaction with the outside world, that I don't see nature, and that my only self-worth is in how much uh, I can produce through, uh, well, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little shallow here because I don't know that much of it. Numbers, essentially, and, and, and using code. Can you, Jatar, can you repeat like the last sentence that kind of broke up with the reception? I think that was kind of like powerful when it happened. Yeah, crunching. Up. Maybe the coders are coming after you. They're like, this message can't get out or press. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Immediately shut down Skype. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, and again, this is my, this is only my perspective. So it's, 
I'm always fascinated by the jobs that people choose to do and why they choose to do them. Just like myself, I'm, I'm curious about things. So the mentality of someone that, that thinks internally that the only way they matter in life is through crunching numbers at a computer, I'd be really curious what that represents to those people. I'd be really curious uh, how they experienced their childhood, how they experienced their parents, and where did they learn that they were only celebrated for their logical mind or their ability to, uh, it's interesting, crunch down, crunch numbers, and type into a computer. And I'm not discounting that. I'm saying as an observational perspective, I'm, it's a curious mindset. Uh, my stepdad is an electrical engineer, and he's been an engineer at Intel for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. And I find his mindset extremely interesting because uh, it's extremely rigid, it's extremely closed off and segmented, and he's very defended against new ideas. And he's been an electrical engineer, I think he has two master's degrees from Cambridge from, I don't know, the 1970s or something. And even with new information that comes out within his field, there's a part of him that disregards all of that new information and stays to what he knows only. I think that is a, a, a more global mindset than just engineers, obviously. And something about the engineer mind, at least in my experience, can become very rigid, very closed, and uh, almost very computer-like. There is nothing outside of one plus one equals two. So when you're working with those people, my assumption would be, yeah, that makes sense to a logical mind that standing up working three days or working out three days a week based on old research. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to be healthy doing that. And that's all I need to do because I read that in men's fitness uh, and some ACSM trainer said that. Yeah. There's a lot more. There's a lot more going on here. ACSM than... is like a weekend certification course for those that don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So those would all be things that I would I would definitely consider the work environment, uh, how I'm getting my needs met at work, and yeah, what part of me feels a sense of. Uh, it's that's interesting. My inside life, inside of a building, inside closed doors, inside cubicles, inside a computer. What part of me believes that that's more of my life than getting outside, getting into nature, uh, and having other experiences? Not to say that they can't do what they do. My guess is, if more engineers, and I think places like Google does this. They have their cubicles, but they also have places to play, to have fun. They have nature. Uh, they have uh, meditation classes. They have yoga. They have working out. Uh, because Google 
is smart enough to know that that actually, interestingly, uh, will create more creative human beings. I think that's one side of that story. The other side of that story that Google also knows is that if people enjoy their time at work, they'll stay at work longer. Don't need to run a multi-million dollar study to find <laughs> that out, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a question regarding like kind of corporate wellness programs, kind of like yeah. what you hinted at with what Google is doing. Like, personally, I think on paper, they're like, okay. But in reality, in my opinion, like they don't really do anything. Because oftentimes, mm. like the pressure is so high and the deadlines are so strict. What ends up happening is the person just still ends up sitting like eight to 10 hours a day, yeah. like at the desk, probably still working on the weekends on those crunch times when you really need to get the project done or if something goes wrong and they need to fix something really quick. And I think like sometimes like a corporate wellness professional, the best thing they can do to really enhance a person's health is just tell them like, dude, you got to get out of this environment, you know? Like, I think, honestly, that's the best, that's the best strategy. That's the most common sense, best strategy, in my opinion, because kind of like what you hinted at, like everything else is kind of like damage control to one degree or another. Yeah. I don't know, know, like what your take is on that, but. I would, I would agree. Um, I like that damage control. Uh, and what comes up for me is there's been, uh, a few corporations that I've gone and spoke at, uh, PwC is one, and um, some other companies down in the Orange County area. And yeah, I would agree. What comes up for me immediately is I've had the bosses who have brought me in to talk to their uh, employees about health and wellness actually ask me not to infuse them with too much uh, self-knowledge, self-respect, uh, and uh, actually, interestingly, becoming their own thinker. Oh, I like the wolf trying to keep the sheep in the herd, you know? <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> because from a business, I mean, I get it, from a business perspective, I think an old school business perspective, uh, production is key. And I can see that being true uh, on one end of the spectrum. I would like to see corporations and, and new companies uh, that are designed around how do we help our human beings thrive uh, and be creative and be healthy and well not only in the workplace, but outside of the workplace. And if we can support our employees to be healthier outside, the interesting thing that I, I, there's legitimate research from places like Harvard on this stuff, uh, that the more healthy and well a human being is and the more well taken care of they are outside in terms of all of these ideas that we've talked about, food and sleep and hydration and movement and, and such, that their ability to create and be focused actually accentuates. So if you had a corporation of very healthy individuals, you would save a lot of money on time, one, and your production would, I think, would go through the roof. It's actually been a business idea that I've really wanted to look at if someone's created this. 
which is this. So let's just say I have a, a bookkeeper, right? I have a CPA. Uh, I have a team that works for me on the stuff that I'm doing. And if there was a company that hired exquisitely healthy people who were a very super healthy lawyer, a super healthy janitor, a super healthy uh, construction guy, a super healthy software engineer, I would bet my money on those people day in and day out that they're going to be higher producers with less time, more efficiency, more focus, and the desire to get out of work, go home, enjoy family, friends, movies, nature, whatever it is, and then come back to work completely re-energized to do it again. Uh, I know that from my own life. When I've worked in the past, when I first started working in this industry, I worked at Club One for a while, and I was getting plaques from Club One celebrating uh, my ability to work 60 and 70 hours a week. I worked myself right into an anxiety attack, and I was doing all the things that you and I you know, talk about. Uh, from a lifestyle perspective, and I still had this anxiety attack, and actually I had two anxiety attacks. And the first one was a big and I started to really question what was most important in my life. Was going to work and output most important, or could I figure out a way to make the same amount of money, if not more money, in less amount of time? And that's what I started to go after. So a very interesting kind of paradoxical way, having the anxiety attack was a gift to wake me up to go in a new direction. And you know, now I probably work somewhere in the neighborhood of five to 10 hours a week and then running some online programs and, and making better money than I ever did when I was working 60 and 70 hours a week. And having time with my friends and my family and nature and ice hockey and working out and food. And that goes back to this mental and emotional perspective that we were chatting about earlier is, is there more to life than work? And where did we learn the mentality for some of these people that there is no self-worth unless they are at work producing? Many of those people, interestingly enough, might actually feel more anxious and more depressed when they're not at work because they're not getting acknowledgement in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. That's that's super interesting perspective to consider. Well, I have uh, like I have a rewinding back a little teeny bit. I have a few questions in terms of like a CEO or like an executive enhancing the workplace environment, as you've mentioned, mm -hmm. to improve productivity. Do you feel like they're challenged as well? Because like for the most part, a lot of people don't know their core values. And mm. obviously since they don't know their core values or have like a very clear picture of what their core values are, they don't know what kind of occupation to get into. So the bulk majority of people are in the wrong occupation to begin with. And even mm. if the environment is enhanced, I mean, it's not an occupation you wanna be in, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so there's not much like the CEO or the executive can do to, I mean, they can do like short-term stuff. They'll produce short-term results, maybe like bonuses or like getaway trips for producing or whatever. But mm -hmm. that stuff is only going to 
helped for so long and typically not that long. And then you'll still return back to this state of like, oh, I don't want to be here for the next 10 hours. You know what I mean? Like typing away. I want to be like, um, I really want to be gardening or something like that or creating my own vegetable garden. So just for example, you know what I mean? Like what's your, what's your yeah. take on, take on that? Uh, yeah, well said. I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I think it's like any other relationship, whether it's a work relationship, uh, whether it's school, college, uh, intimate partnership. Uh, not many human beings explore their values before diving into something. Many people kind of just step into things, uh, step into work because that is the expectation or doing jobs because that's the expectation of the family in which they grew up in and they're afraid to let down their family and not live up to, interestingly, their parents living through them. So they give their ass away, stay in jobs that they're not uh, happy in. Uh, many of us, in my experience, don't take the time to explore our core values and what's important to us in any relationship. So if we were to take that into this arena, I'd say, yeah, uh, I don't know many companies that invite that in outside of them sharing their core values, what the company's core values are, but not really engaging with the, the future employee and asking very adult questions like, do these values match yours? And when there's money on the line uh, or food on the line, many of us will give up our core values and prostitute ourselves for a paycheck. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that if you do that, in the short term, it might be a short-term fix. Uh, in the long term, the more any human being gives themselves away to anything, uh, they'll have more pain down the line, for sure. They'll have more dysfunction in their physiology. They'll have more GI inflammation. Uh, they'll have more anxiety, depression. Uh, it's like walking around all the time with a big woman. I'm never representing myself, and I'm walking around in a state of fear and or shame at all times. And that is a, a very painful place for a human being to be. And then you add all of that on top of then sitting in front of these things all day long. Uh, yeah, that's a good recipe for some disaster. Gotcha. And what would you, what's your input on like, um, like if you tell, I, I get a lot of like stubbornness, especially from software engineers on this one. And they do have like a valid point in the sense that if you tell a person to like, ask them, and you kind of hinted at this before, but ask them to die down their hours at work a bit, or trying mm. to request to maybe work from home one of the days so they can save the driving time and mm. use that time difference for like personal stuff. And they're always going to go like, oh, well, like you mentioned, everyone is doing this and they're going to find someone to replace me if I don't work like 50, 60, 70 hours a week or finish these hard deadlines. That's just how the environment is. It's just how it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like very, usually very, very stubborn on that one. Yeah. Uh, I love stubborn clients. They're my favorite. And one of the reasons why. <laughs> I had to study 20 years to learn how to deal with these people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. 
I think, <laughs> you know, what's interesting about what you said is one reason why I, I enjoy someone who is stubborn or, or very defended is because it, it's challenging. It's challenging to me. And it's challenging in the sense of how do I work with this person? And so my perspective would be this. Yes, I think that reducing hours or getting a day from home, et cetera, would be very helpful to their health and wellness. And if that person is extremely defended in that arena, well, then I'm going to sidestep that because I have, let's just say, 10 other items that I could knock down that may not create as much health and wellness as that, but will help support their system while they're in that. And yes, that may be damage control for sure. And... My personal coaching philosophy is it's not my job to change people into me. It's my job to support people in the environment in which they want to be. And so as an example, let's say you're working with a, a rock star or something, and this rock star on whatever, Thursday through Tuesday is partying and drinking and doing drugs, etc. Now, I'm not meaning to stereotype rock stars, we're just making one up. So let's just say that that's what's going on. And I'm that person's coach. It would be my job to support them the best I can Monday through Thursday. So that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the detriment to their system is great, but it's not as great if they were doing all these other things Monday through Wednesday. So with someone in this arena, I would approach it in the same way. I would wor start working with them in the areas that they were open to work and areas that they felt motivated to change. And the interesting thing that I've noticed over the years is if I take that approach, not always, but let's just say 50-50, as that person gets healthier and healthier, there's this natural evolution that happens inside of them that says, wait a second, there's more to life than be just being at work. And I've seen this happen with very high-level CEOs and very high-level designers and very high-level people that I work with. And that's not because of my coaching for me, that's because something happens in the human being as they become more balanced within their parasympathetic and sympathetic system and they're less inflamed. They start to feel, emote, and maybe think a little clearer. And they start to question things because what's really interesting is that if you're living your life in a sympathetically dominant uh, arena, if you're spun that way in the flight or flight system, majority of the time, due to your job, due to your lifestyle, due to the environment that you're working, really fascinating about that system of the body is that system of the body makes you very myopic. It makes you very close-minded and 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 narrowly focused. 
And there's a purpose to that. The purpose of that is from an evolutionary standpoint, surviving in the wild. If you were in a flight or flight state, you needed to become myopic and focused to get out of that situation or to fight. Uh, but because so many of us are living in that insidiously now, uh, it's very hard for that mindset or that small myopic lens to see its own way out of it. So when you bump up against a client like that, what I heard them say is, yeah, well, my system is so shut down to that thinking, I can't even consider it yet. But if I start to address these other things that are going on in their lives, and that starts to cool their system off, and they start to become a little bit more parasympathetic, or that parasympathetic and sympathetic dominant starts to balance out, what's interesting is it opens up their awareness and their consciousness naturally. Even if they've done no self-work, it would just be the natural state that a human being would be in when they're not in flight or flight. They would, be, they would have some creativity. If you look at our ancestors, they were very creative. Tools are creative, etc. Human beings are very creative. So ancestrally, we weren't always in this insidious, chronic flight or flight state. But now we are. And I think that's part of what we're battling up against is, okay, well, if that's where we're at, and these people can't even connect to what I'm trying to share with them. Cool. How do I meet them where they're currently at and start coming in the back door as a, as a metaphor? Gotcha. Do you like sometimes do you have are you tempted to like speed up the process because you're like, man, this person doesn't know what's good for them. You know what I mean? At times, because it's like a lot of times, even if you make that one small improvement that they're at such an F minus deficit. It's still yeah. there in the F category and they could be that way for years, you know? And you're like, dude, I can save you so many years if you just kind of adapted the system and stopped being retarded. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if you ever feel tempted to do that, you know? You should be like, no, you're here to be who I need you to be, not who you want to be, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I, I'm tempted every day. Um, the challenge with that temptation is, at least for me, uh, is that I can't change anyone. Even if I have their answers, uh, it's still the person inside of them that needs to make the decisions to go through that change process. You know, there's that old adage, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Even if I said this water will reduce your age by 20 years, but to get that water, it takes this, 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 and this, and this to do, or this one thing. Uh, I wish I had that kind of power. Uh, but because I recognize, at least over the years from coaching, that I get much better results uh, if I allow my client to feel a sense of autonomy. So it's why I phrase things with clients often uh, in the form of questions so that they're finding their own answers and they are feeling a sense of control and power within their decision-making process. That, in my experience, typically elicits a, a faster change process. The, you know, 
The opposite side of that spectrum would be the expert model where I'm telling somebody what to do. And at least in my experience, I'm not saying across the board, uh, that doesn't work as well. Uh, that typically will elicit a part of the ego that wants to be defiant. And if we start to take on that role as a coach of telling people how to improve their lives, i.e. I know how you can get better, and I'm not saying you're doing this, it's just my own experience of that. What that client will do, interestingly, at a conscious or subconscious level is put you up on a pedestal and think you're their dad. That really should have a relationship with their or their mother. And so I typically swallow that and then try to give questions that they can find a very similar answer without it seeming like I'm giving it to them. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a, gotcha. it's a very powerful autonomy trick, essentially. I'm, I'm just being very seductive, honestly. I'm trying to come up with the best questions I can to see if I can get them <laughs> to give the answers that I really want to give to them, which is pretty fascinating. Gotcha. And I guess like the, the last question for this interview, um, sometimes people say like, oh, but I really love the work. Like I like the work. And oftentimes kind of like you're a Czech faculty member, uh, like for instance, Paul Czech is big into like nature is a novelty generator. Everyone's like mm. unique, et cetera, et cetera. And I always feel like another challenge is although you may like the field or love the field and be passionate about it. Oftentimes I feel kind of like, especially when you work for like a super huge company, mm. they don't let you express your like natural unique self in that mm. specific environment. And that actually causes, I find with a lot of my clients that I've spoken with and during these corporate uh, lectures as well, is that actually causes a lot of stress and tension as well. So like a lot of times it's not enough to actually find your passion. You have to find the environment that will actually let you uniquely express that enjoyment of that passion, which I find is almost impossible at any company, basically, especially the bigger, the bigger the company, the more impossible it becomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, that's been my experience with clients too, at least in the corporate environment. And there isn't a whole lot of leeway for these people to express themselves and be creative and, uh, for me, what's interesting about that is a deeper question, at least for me, uh, is I don't think things happen randomly. So uh, people that end up working in very rigid, constricted environments where their creativity is stifled and or they're not allowed to express themselves fully and or their creativity is used for the betterment of a company and not themselves. I would guess that many of those people grew up in very similar home environments. Mm, gotcha. And in a very interesting way, they're recapitulating the home environment at work and haven't found a way yet to shake loose uh, the values that they learned as children and how they learned as children to get attention, to get their needs met, and to feel a sense of they matter. 
for a lot of those people, interestingly, they'll be willing to stay in a job that's detrimental to their health as long as it's familiar to their ego. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's very interesting perspective. That's very cool. And I guess like one more question since you brought brought that perspective up. What if like then a person says like, oh, but like, look at this technology you're using. It's because I work those 80 hour weeks and I'm doing this and society wouldn't exist without kind of like people like me, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in some level, I, I think that's true. Society wouldn't exist the way it exists today without those uh, inventions, etc. I don't know that that's necessarily better. <laughs> I mean, there's a, you know, I love my Mac computer and I love my iPhone. I'm not sure it's making the world a better place. Um, but yeah, what I heard that person say is, yeah, uh, I'm very needy of attention uh, and I'm willing to kill myself to get it. It's not that different than many other people in many other jobs. Many of us uh, learned that we only matter through what we do. And uh, it's interesting how the ego often works from the perspective of it's never enough. Every milestone I hit, for most people, they get a, a moment of celebration and then the next thought is what's next? What's next? What's next? And there are many, many, many people that are willing to kill themselves for ego acknowledgement. It happens all the time in every job. Gotcha. That's pretty interesting. Do you have like, do you have any kind of closing statements you would like to add to the topic before we kind of call it a day? Yeah, I think if any of this did spark something in you as an engineer or anyone else, uh, someone who's in a job that they recognize, at least in part, they don't feel comfortable in, I would ask you two questions to consider. Uh, how does a part of me benefit by being in a job that isn't fulfilling to my heart and my head? Interesting question. Uh, and where did I learn that my imagination and creativity is only important if it's used to facilitate the growth of something else, not simply only to be expressed? Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining like all the way from Denmark. Uh, for those that are interested, I will be including Jator's information, uh, like basically his Facebook and his personal website and all that other stuff in the description section. So just feel free to contact him through there. And um, yeah, thanks again, Jator. Always great to have you as a guest. So, Thank you, Gene. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you.